Before the episode, I want to share a quick word from this episode's sponsors, Live Oak Bank, Hood & Strong, and Oberly Risk Strategies. Our first sponsor, Live Oak Bank, is a seasoned SMB lender providing SBA and conventional financing for search funds, independent sponsors, private equity firms, and individuals looking to acquire lower middle market companies. Live Oak has closed billions of dollars in SBA financing and is actively looking to help more small company investors across the country. If you are in the process of acquiring a company or thinking about starting a search, contact Lisa Forrest or Heather Anderson directly to start a conversation or go to liveoakbank.com think. Our second, Hood & Strong, is a CPA firm with a long history of working with search funds and private equity firms on diligence, assurance, tax services, and more. Hood & Strong is highly skilled in working with search funds, providing quality of earnings and due diligence services during the search, along with assurance and tax services post-acquisition. They offer a unique way to approach acquisition diligence and manage costs effectively. To learn more about how Hood & Strong can help your search, acquisition, and beyond, please email one of their partners, Jerry Joe at jzhou at hoodstrong.com. And our third sponsor, Oberly Risk Strategies, is the leading specialty insurance brokerage catering to search funds and the broader ETA community, providing complimentary due diligence assessments of the target company's commercial insurance and employee benefits programs. Over the past decade, August Felker and his team have engaged with hundreds of searchers to provide due diligence and ultimately place the most competitive insurance program at closing. Given August's experience as a searcher himself, he and his team understand all that goes into buying a business and pride themselves on making the insurance portion of closing seamless and hassle-free. If you are under LOI, please reach out to August to learn more about how Oberly can help with insurance due diligence at oberly-risk.com or reach out to August directly at august.felker at oberly-risk.com. And now to the episode. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Alex Bridgman and this is Think Like an Owner. This show seeks out conversations with business owners and private investors to learn how to acquire and run small companies with a special focus on search funds, micro-private equity, and small company operations. You can learn more at alexbridgman.com podcast and follow me on Twitter at AEBridgman. And if you like the show, please leave a review and tell a friend to help more folks find Think Like an Owner. I'm also the founder of The Operator's Handbook, a print publication where small company operators share their insights and ideas for building more effective and profitable companies. Articles focus on process improvement, sales, hiring and training, managing culture, and all responsibilities within operating a small company. If you run a small business and are looking for new ways to grow and improve, subscribe today and join your peers in the endless pursuit of better at theoperatorshandbook.com. My guest in this episode is Mike Botkin. You might remember Mike from episode 48, where he described acquiring B&B landscaping in Orlando, Florida, with his investor equity raised entirely from Twitter. Well, he's acquired a bigger one and has raised a holding company called Benchmark Group to buy and build a vertically integrated lawn care and landscaping business in Central Florida. In addition to Mike's new acquisition and holding company, we also talk about systems and policies he's implemented at BNB, how he hires and retains members of his team, and benefits from scale and vertical integration. Mike has become a great friend of mine over the last year, and I always leave our calls thinking we should have hit record. I'm glad we were able to do so for this episode and mark this momentous event in his career. It's really good to see you, Mike. There's been a lot that's happened since we've uh, last been on the podcast together. Lots of phone calls in between. I've heard the updates as we've gone through them, but it's exciting to get to share a few of them here on the show. You first gave kind of a 
brief 30 second overview for those who haven't heard the first episode. We'll link to it still. But for those who haven't heard it, can you give us the quick 30 to 60 second background on who you are, the business you bought, and then a little bit about what you've done so far? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, I think what you're doing in the small business and investing categories is unbelievable. You've given so many people a platform to share their story. And it's really been life altering in terms of the networking connections. And you've even opened my world up to. And you just being a voice to bounce ideas off of has been incredible. And I appreciate that more than I can ever say. So, uh, Next time you're in Orlando, uh, dinner and drinks on me for sure. The last time I was on, we just acquired BNB Landscaping. We were shooting, I believe, 30, 45 days in, and I was drinking out of a fire hose, which I thought was ending soon and it wasn't. The fire hose continued. We bought that in Central Florida, just outside of Orlando, and we were going through all the normal transition issues and the highs and lows that everyone goes through. And our goal was to always grow through acquisition and we thought it would take a lot longer than what it did. And once we got the playbook for how to manage B&B and go through it, see around the curve, we fast forwarded our acquisition plan and we just acquired, it's called Justin Superior Lawn Care in Orlando, Florida. And here we are, we closed October 1st. Excellent. And so bringing us up to present day, there was one other fun story that we had chatted a lot about where you actually had an acquisition offer to buy B&B pretty quickly after acquiring it and after our episode. Can you share just some of the like rough details about what type of offer they made and what were the things you were weighing in terms of should I sell or should I keep the business for longer? And what was your thought process through that time? Yeah, absolutely. And you were a phenomenal sounding board during that process as well. We had some interest pretty early. I do think a lot of it is credit to your podcast and the spotlight you put on us and people that were following me on Twitter just started reaching out like, Hey, I want to buy a home services business. I want to buy a landscaping business. Or can you walk me through some old deal notes? And just in conversation, we had two people that got pretty deep in conversation with us. And this was all within the first hundred days of us owning a business. And we got through an LOI on one and we were pretty much almost going to get the finish line. The deal didn't work for us or for them. I think it was bad timing on both parts in the sense of we were okay with selling just because the returns. And I mean, I had a big conversation about this and the return would just be, we'd be stupid not to take it. I mean, within a hundred days, the return that we could have had would have been unheard of. And it would have allowed us to have a platform to go and do more, do it again. And something just kept saying, believe what you bought and keep going. And I shared that thought with the potential buyers and we just mutually agreed, this isn't going to work for either one of us. We should just walk away. We're going to continue doing what you do. You're obviously going to be successful at home. And we hunkered down and dove in and the fruit of that was it really we are so clouded in your day-to-day vision when you're going through the deal process and it makes you look at things differently and you just get so overwhelmed with it. At least I did. I don't know if other people do, but I certainly did. And caught up in the one of the scenarios and what happens. And in retrospect, we finally lost focus for 30 days going through that when we're about to close and then we delay and then the instincts kicked over. 
and we decided not to move forward with the acquisition and we pulled back. And once we cleared that hurdle, we were able to really dive into it, see what happens. And we made some pretty remarkable discoveries. And one discovery, which I kick myself every day for not understanding or knowing before about our unit economics. And then we made the change that we did, which was we fired a third of our customers. We raised prices considerably between 20 and 40% of another third of our customers. And we kept the other third the same. And we transitioned from a 60-40 residential commercial business to a 90% commercial business. And we solidified our playbook and we tested that and it worked and it worked and it worked. And we're like, great. We got the playbook now. So to answer your question, not to be long-winded, but it's a phenomenal opportunity that it's up to us if we sell or not this early. And then our instinct was to pull back and not do it. And then by pulling back and not doing it, we only made the business better or successful. And it allowed us to go out and show we can do this. Our vision is correct. Our strategy is correct. Our operational tools are correct. Less than four with what our goal from the outset always was when we grow through acquisition. Yeah. And one dynamic that we talked about a lot during that time also was that that once you're in the business or in the industry and you own a company within whatever space you're in, it becomes much, much easier to go acquire that second or third business because you already own one. Or did you find and come across other deal opportunities to buy other companies after having owned B&B Landscaping? And it was constant to a point where it was almost distracting because we were getting, people were just calling us, asking in the area that we purchased B&B, Hey, would you ever buy our business? Hey, won't you offer our business? Hey, have you ever looked at this business? And one of the great, this is like a phenomenal resource. I almost hate sharing this. Every landscaping business needs a mechanic or needs a shop that can fix your stuff or get supplies, round more up and, you know, just blades and stuff like that. It's like the war to landscapers. And the guy at our mower shop kind of built a relationship with, and he started tipping me off. I was like, just keep your eye open, keep your ear out. If anyone's struggling or anyone just gets fed up with this stuff, or if anyone's looking to sell or mentions it, let me know. And sure enough, the guy would call me or text me like, hey, you should talk to so-and-so. They're looking. And we had LOIs on a few businesses pretty early. And again, it just timing was not ready. And uh, it was important for myself and, and you know my partner investor to do it right. And it's not about how quickly you can acquire, it's what you do with them, what are you acquired? And if it was going to distract or hurt BNB, which was our foundational business, or it was going to hurt the new acquisition, then we already do it. And I gained so much more respect for our transitional items by owning BNB for other businesses. And I think in retrospect, we bought too small of a business with BNB and he's doing, you know, sub 800K in revenue. It was intentionally boxed slow. I've joked with you about this before that I hate search firms and I hate searchers. A line of searchers have actually helped me and guided me and one that you're very familiar with, very close with, has been a great allying resource and tremendous resource. But listen, I grew up the wrong side of the tracks, right? So I value every dollar in the world and especially when someone gives you money. To be a steer of someone's capital, I think is the greatest gift and the greatest responsibility you could have as a business owner or a searcher. 
And if I'm going to take someone else's capital, the only way you can return it is to have it invested. And I think as a searcher, when you take someone's capital and you search for a year or two years or three years, whatever your term is, and you don't acquire a business, I think you should be ashamed of yourself, quite frankly, because your whole goal was to get a deal done and have a return on your invested investor's capital. And so we wanted to have a business and let me learn the industry and let me learn the ins and outs and let me see if we could really prove it. Because if we could prove it with a smaller business, yes, there's differences and the nuances going up levels on businesses, but it's blocking and tackling. And we picked an industry that was specific because it's blocking and tackling. We bought small for a purpose. If I failed on this one and we had to bail out of it, then I knew our thesis would have been wrong. And if it was correct, then we were able to scale much quicker. And I look at owning B&B landscaping as getting a master's or doctor in small business. And then I was able to graduate and really take on a tremendous amount of responsibility and confidence in taking other people's money to go do it even bigger. And my point in saying on this is I always tell searchers every time I talk to them, just go buy one. Stop looking for the whole run ball that's going to come your way and can swing. Go buy them. Go prove yourself as an operator. And listen, my background is picture perfect for operating. If you look at it, you could say this guy doesn't need help operating. I was the chief operating officer of an investment company that had 50 subsidiaries and had $800 million of assets and over 215 employees here to me. So I had all the background on it, but man, it's totally different when you got a $10 guy, his wife's pregnant, they have another kid that's sick, their car just breaks down and it's Monday. They don't get paid again until Friday. And they're coming to you with every problem in the world and looking at you with their need for all the answers. And I think searchers would be better off buying a business, proving their model, and then going out and raising double the capital or whatever capital they raised, which essentially is what we did with BNB. Yeah, that's the concept that we've talked about a lot. And the idea that the Nick Hashka approach, where you just go buy something small that's fairly easy to find and acquire. And then through that business, that's when you go buy the bigger business that you would have wanted to buy anyway from the start. And so if you think of it, from like that concept that we've talked about a lot, how long from your acquisition of B&B to your latest acquisition has it been? We closed on B&B December 11th of 2020, and we just closed on Justin's October 1st of 2021, excuse me. Yeah, so you acquired in December 2020, but when, do you remember when you started searching? Early August is when I found the deal. We had capital raised and closed within 30 days of me attempting to raise capital and via Twitter, and we talked about this in Teller in previous podcast, so I bought some videos to that. And we had the deal done by the middle of November, and I just waited till December to close up. But to answer your question, you started searching for that one pretty late in the game. And this one with Justin's also was pretty late. We found the deal in June. We went for capital July, closed capital middle of July. And then a bidding, closing, and LOI, and negotiation since then, we closed on couple first. And how'd you find Justin's? Was it through, did they reach out to you, or was it through some of these warehouse folks who... <laughs> Completely off market. We actually had to convince them to sell, which I thought was a great thing, because you shouldn't want to really sell. If you're trying to sell your business, 
I know everyone has other business ventures and everyone wants to say they're retired. No one does. So going off market, that was a better strategy. And it really came about, I just started seeing the trucks. And I was like, that's a nice truck. That's a nice truck. That's a good neighborhood to be in. And I saw them in a distinct neighborhood. So Justin's is almost a thousand clients and it's all residential, save a few local places. But it's a residential lawn care business. I, I do not prefer residential escaping or lawn care, but we got a stranglehold on a neighborhood that is called Celebration. It was Walt Disney's master plan community, and it's like a gigantic commercial property to us. That's how we think about it. But yeah, to answer your question, off March, I saw them in that neighborhood constantly, and I previously lived in the neighborhood, so I knew what the HOA was like, and we just started contacting them. And I actually used a broker that we used for B&B. I called in and said, I need you to reach out to these people and see what the deal is. Just because if someone in your industry reaches out, a lot of people get gun shy because they think you're fishing for information. So we strategically used a broker previously to reach out and get the conversation going for us. And also to see how big they were. Because I didn't know if I just kept seeing the same truck or the same two trucks or if they had 10 trucks. I had no idea. And so you talked about SBA and non-SBA earlier. So one of the things you would have been thinking about too, just doubling back a little bit with potentially selling BNB was that would give you perhaps more capital to go out and buy a platform acquisition, basically what Justin's is. But it sounds like keeping BNB actually made that process quite a bit easier in buying that platform acquisition. Is that true? Or what, what are some of the benefits you've seen or benefits or cons to continuing to own BNB while going after that larger platform acquisition? Yeah, absolutely. I think keeping BNB and proving out our operational advances that we had allowed me to have a ton more printability when we were trying to raise capital for Justin's. And it allowed us to also not be in a hurry for a bad acquisition, right? Because there was no timetable. If we just kept BNB, there was no issues. We were going to keep doing it. And we were growing BNB at an enormous rate, growing. You can look at it, not even our first full year of operating it. We are almost going to double the business within the first year. And I think what really helped with BNB, Alex, with buying Justin's isn't even so much the acquisition. It's the days after, right? And I don't mean this negatively, but I think anyone can acquire a business, whether you use SBA or you use investor capital, like it's not hard to offer someone money at a fair market value and they give it to The concept is not difficult to grasp. What's difficult is what do you do after acquisition? And things that I didn't do at BNB for two months or three months or four months, I've done immediately at Justin's having positive impact and positive effects on the business. Whereas I didn't know, or I was gun shy or just nervous about implementing a BB. And I took those lessons and essentially tried them out and saw they work and just put them right on over at Justin's and it's working beautifully. And that aligned me again to have a master and a doctorate in small business operations. And I think that's the benefit for Justin's is I'm able to go back on the experience of transition. And also, it's not just me saying it. I mean, well, we are close in location. So my original investment, BB and Justin's are about 30 to 45 minutes away from each other in terms of our warehouses. And I have my general manager of BB come over to Justin's a couple times a week. I'm able to say, don't listen to me. 
listen, he's on that lid list. He's the one that went from a crew leader up to general manager in the span of a couple months with me. And he's the one that, you know, was on the other side of me of committing these processes or we worked them together. So listen to this guy and he'll tell you the good, bad, and ugly about me and what we're going to do and what we're about. And if you keep your word on things and just everything I'm saying in terms of employee innocence are going to happen or not, like listen to it. And for him, the general manager of BB, think, Nick, hey, Nick, show them. This is how we do X, Y, and Z. This is how we do A, B, and C. And it's been tremendous to add and to lean on. We will be much better off at Justin's in our future path by keeping BNB than we ever could have if we would have sold. I'd love to hear a little more about some of those processes you said that were really quick to implement at Justin's, but would have taken longer at BNB. By the way, I also loved the the tweet you had a little while ago about hiring a GM from Chick-fil-A. A lot of podcast guests, a remarkable number, probably at least three or four of Think Like an Owner podcast guests have mentioned Chick-fil-A as their best business. Not necessarily because they're like the finances, but like just the customer experience of Chick-fil-A and how they're always really quick, very friendly. No matter how long the line is, you can always get through. They don't usually make mistakes. And I, so I just love to hear about hiring a GM from Chick-fil-A, but also just Broadly, what are some of these other processes that you implemented at Justin's that were quicker than BNB? Yeah, and let me touch on the Chick-fil-A thing for a second here. One of probably the biggest reasons why people don't want to go into residential anything, whether it's pitchback or planning or landscaping for home services, is because the clients are paying in the butt and they're demanding and whether their bill's fifty bucks or five hundred bucks or five thousand, they want to be treated like they're the Queen of England. And I knew that was going to be an issue. I experienced some of that in my previous acquisition with B&B. And I thought, okay, we can just sit here and take this on the phone and not have any real defense for it. But if we can control and set clear expectations and be friendly with customers and service the customers, but also set expectations of this is what we're going to do. This is our new process and this is how we're going to behave. I thought it would give us a tremendous leg up on our other competitors and I'm going to have to find the best that I possibly could. And we look at, it's a broad question, who has the best customer service at deal? And who can also deal with our employees and who can deal with that level of interaction between our employees and customers, no matter what the ticket item is. And couldn't have been more fortunate. It's an absolute whole brand that we were able to attract her. And like to me, she's a former educator and high school teacher. And so I think about even that regard of having to teach, you know, high school age kids, which I'm a former educator as well. So I clearly understood it, how to do something and then problem solve and the issues that they had. And so that helps for employees, but just the customer service. And I've already seen positive impact of that hire with the customers and just her ability under fire to be able to solve any issue for customer or acknowledge it really. We don't really have to solve, just acknowledge it and show we can follow up with something. So that was crucial for me. And I think it's setting us apart from a lot of other home service businesses. And before we go in the process, I think just stick to the hiring for a second. Yes, we recruited and hired her and we recruited and hired a couple other outstanding individuals to help with us in this process. But we wanted to go into this with a huge focus on employee retention, not recruiting. 
we feel like if we are treating our employees right and we're investing in our employees and we're providing resources financially, operationally, safety, and career path-wise, that we wouldn't have to spend so much time recruiting. And I think recruiting is great. I love when we have to recruit an employee, but I don't ever want to be in a position where we need to recruit an employee on someone else's timeline. I want to recruit an employee on my timeline. Hey, if we hire X, it's going to allow our company to do Y. Hey, if we get this employee, this will really blow this part of the business into another level, or this will solve a ton of issues for us. I never want to be someone leaves on a Friday and, oh shit, we need someone on Monday. Like I never, ever want to be that no matter what level of the business they're in for us. So we are putting a huge focus on employee retention. And all that means, Alex, is we're paying above market value, we're treating them respectfully, we're treating them like professionals, we're providing them resources to be better at their job, which means safety equipment, training, better equipment, processes in place to take care of the equipment so they can work more efficiently. Because nothing sucks more than it's 100 degrees in July or 105 degrees in July in Florida, and you're out mowing some yard and you can't get your equipment turned off, and you're just sitting there, you know, sweating like you just jumped out of, oh, oven and your company doesn't work and it sucks. And so we're taking huge pride in that and we're focused on that. Now with process and some that we did at BNB that we implemented immediately at Justin's, and this is like a funny one, but no smoke. This industry, a lot of guys smokes, you know, cigarettes. And I don't have a problem with some of these materials. I personally don't, but I look at it from, I care about the equipment. I care about your uniforms. I mean, I hope you do too as well. And you're in a truck with four or five other people eight hours a day, maybe someone else doesn't like smoking. So I, it's a blanket rule, there's no smoking. There's no smoking in the trucks because I care about the trucks. I don't need the trucks smelling like cigarette boxes. And what do you do with the cigarette when you're done smoking it? You throw it out the window or you throw it in the truck. That's not taking care of the truck. And that's disrespectful to throw it out. And also maybe the property owner doesn't want to smoke. So that was an immediate role. We did no smoking, which you'd be surprised at the kickback on that. Basic things, right? Cleaning your truck out, cleaning your bed out, cleaning your trailer out, washing your equipment, taking inventory of your equipment, having route sheets, the customer's name that you're pulling up to, and any notes that you may have. And it's this business is substantially larger than BB was, and BB did not have route sheets. Literally did not have route sheets. So, like, hey, Alex, where are you going today? Can I see where you're going? And they'll just rattle it off their head and say, what? Like, there's no way you could do that successfully uh, first thing from the time. And these people were the exact same. I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot of this group, but we're going to have rap sheets because I can't remember all these places. You know, I put the customer's name on there, the address, and any issues, and any proactive things. So when, you know, Mr. Smith walks out the door, you can say, oh, hey, Mr. Smith, how's it going? Nurses, ignore If we can provide good service, we can take care of our employees, and we can have good customer interaction, customer service, man, how can you not win in this? So those are some of the early things. And the overall theme that we've done the past couple of weeks since acquisition was everything we're doing is to show our employees and our customers that we care about the facility, the equipment, their day. Uh, <laughs> here's another one. They clock you, like their time clock is the old union like function thing. And I might die every time I see that like there's a business, by the way. And you know, always messes up just because it does, and employees end up writing their times on there. And then what happens is they argue on Friday and the guy on the payroll, which payroll meant the previous owner, 
about their hours or their time. I mean, it's just not efficient. And as an employee, think, think about that as an employee. You got to be nervous every Friday that you're going to be paid incorrectly. Like, that sucks. So we went to a software program and they have an app in their funnel and they learn in their iPad and they see all their hours and just like little tiny things. And they make such a big difference. And like, I show them the iPad with like how to pop in and it's like, wait, I can do it like showing them how to make time back in the day. It's just funny to see, but it has such a huge impact on them and on their life. Uh, it's like, you got to do it. Yeah. Diving into hiring and processes a little bit more. What are some of your training regimens or processes for new employees when I imagine there's lots of turnover, but hopefully a little bit less since you're paying above market and you're working on retention. But I, I imagine there's still quite a bit of turnover. What kind of training processes do you have set up? Yeah, actually. So there's going to be a time where there's a huge fire and we just have to hire people and we can't get it exactly how we want it. But if we're constantly keeping the recruiting door open and we're hiring ahead of things and being prepared for things that allows us to train properly versus turning you a shirt and saying, get in the truck and go. And that's not responsible. That's not responsible to the customer. You don't know a skill set. So what we do is if you can look at a four weeks, a new employee spends one week with one crew doing one task. So it could be nothing but edging. All he does is edge the entire week. The second uh, week he spends with another truck and all he does is he's the weed eater. And the third week he spends it blowing or weed control or trimming. And by the fourth week, I sit down with each of those crew leaders and our general manager and we're essentially having an open conversation about the employee. What is he good at? What is he weak at? What is, you know, what needs to be improved? Has he shown up every day? Just getting overall feedback because a guy can fake it for a day. A guy can fake it for a couple of days. You can't fake a lawn care and landscaping for a month. Either you're about it or you're not. And it's let us get rid of people that could be problems. And it's allowed us to really keep good employees. And it's also allowed us to train. So think about you go through a month span and the only thing you don't know how to do is mullet. And, you know, that's a good asset for us. They've gone through week. They now know how to edge or a weedy, a spray, a trim, and all these other tools. So now they can get on any track, which is hugely valuable to us. And one thing that's helped us here at Justin's is, so I'll give you some background on the, just Justin's history. They were founded by the guy, Justin, in 2000. And in 2018, he actually sold the business to two practicing attorneys and the attorneys have ran the business and, and he has been arm's distance involved in the business since selling it and he's still here. So a big piece of this about Justin's was how would Justin feel about the older about us taking over. And I can tell you it's been a godsend that he is now more of a prominent role and a more active role. He is with us full time and don't have a guy sitting across the table from me that I can call on or ask or jam with who started the business, literally himself and his brother in one trap and grew the business to an exit and then stayed on through other ownership and is now with us in a more prominent role to have a guy that knows every customer, every yard, every neighbor, every employee background in the aligned with our vision is an, an unbelievable tool and asset that'll help us operationally and moving forward. That is, we didn't plan for it to be this 
well bought into from him. And it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's one other level up that I think we need to go to because you now have a new holding company, Benchmark Group, that you've raised. And as an extension of your thesis in lawn care and landscaping in Central Florida, can you talk a little bit about how that came about? We've had many calls about it, but folks who listen probably don't have much background on something you're thinking during this time leading up to raising your holding company here. Yeah, absolutely. So our goal from the beginning was to always grow through acquisition. I think you can grow organically and you can build it over time. But my thesis was to grow through acquisition and very specific parameters. And we did not want to go SBA. I don't believe in the SBA in terms of what I'm trying to do, because while I have a good background for this, and obviously we proved ourselves out the first one, the SBA is 100% transactional. They want their check on the first every month. And if you're doing bad, hey, make sure you pay us. If you're doing great, hey, it's come get another loan from us. And I wanted a partner that I could jam with, I could share ideas with, tell me yes or no, could say, hey, don't turn left, turn right. And having just another person to call on is a tremendous asset. And so with the only company, we proved out a B&B model that this can work. Now let's level off essentially. We created Benchmark Group to go acquire other landscaping businesses and, and landscaping businesses in the landscaping industry. I'll just give you a kind of a big picture of what we're looking at doing. You got mall maintenance, you got landscaping, which are very distinctly different. You got water management, which is irrigation. You got tree service. You got the supply chain, meaning your wholesalers, your nurseries, your sock farms, your, your rock and stone distributors. Hit a couple other subcategories, but we feel like there's a massive play involved in being a true one-stop shop provider of vertical integration. So we are taking it from the farm to the customer's house. That provides us tremendous leverage and opportunity to capture as much margin being quite free. It allows us to see a lot of cash coming back to us, which is my job is to be the steward of this capital and the steward behind our vision and our strategic goals. And if we can vertically integrate, then that's a win for everyone. And I think I should talk about our partner here for a second because it's kind of a funny story and it goes back to our original raise. I knew I had just done an LOI before I ever raised capital. And I knew the purchase price. It was very fair. I thought it was fair. So we needed to raise capital. And I did not want to go SBA at all. Sam Leslie, who's also very active on Twitter, just bought uh, an HVAC company, had an idea of sending an email out with people that needed deals or wanted deals and contacted me. And we talked about it. And I said, hey, I got one for you. Put it out there. And the feedback and reaction to the deal that I sent him, which was Justin's, was overwhelmingly it is just overwhelming, actually, was the best way to describe it. And it, it's funny. There are guys like, after one other email to me, guys that are saying, put me down for 50K or put me down for 75K or put me down. And it's what? Like, you didn't even have my phone number. What do you mean put me down for 50K? Like, you lost your marbles. Anyway, so we ended up pretty quickly leaning more into one partner than the other that was able to facilitate not only this acquisition, but also our entire thesis. And that is extremely important to me for a few reasons. The partner had operational background. They had home service background and not from a fund level, but from 
they were true operators. They ran a home service business that they know what it's like and they scaled and had great success with it. And now they're in positions to do what they're doing with us. And it was important that they understood operations and home services. So I can use them to jam and have ideas with. And it was also important that they also had the financial resources to a, pull the deal off, but also provide those resources financially to finish a thesis. Because go back to what I talked about BNB, it is extremely distracting to be an operator as well as fundraising, as well as trying to get a deal or close a deal. That's almost three separate jobs in itself. And yet I thought it'd be a disservice if every year or year and a half or six months, I was out fundraising or trying to close deals by myself. And I wanted a partner that could remove that from us. Now that's not to say we won't ever raise again if we need the capital, but we don't need the capital to improve our thesis. It would just be extreme growth capital. And we get to that point, Alex, I'll be on a beach somewhere and you won't be doing it in a podcast interview with me because I'll be sayonara, my friend, which is a good thing. I'm half kidding, obviously, if we can trade this out. And the partnership meant a lot to also have intangible resources available. And I'll give you an example. A couple months ago on Twitter, probably two months ago, it became... And least on my feed, pretty prominent of these autonomous mowers and what's going to happen in the with DC money going into autonomous mowers. And I reached out to the company that's doing autonomous mowers, couldn't get a hold of anyone. I reached out to our now partner and I said, hey, have you seen this? This is interesting. Within a phone call, he got a hold of the VC that backed that company. That's insane. Just the natural resources is unbelievable. So we couldn't be happier. We couldn't be luckier. My original investor, J.D. Ross, uh, received, and I'm extremely proud of what I'm about to say. I think this is my shining moment to a large degree. We were able to provide an enormous return relative to the time of money invested to our original investor. And my greater pride is that not only did he receive a return, but he reinvested back into our home co. And that means that he's taking another bet on me. And I'd be clearly happy about that. To circle back and answer the question of the whole code, our goal is to acquire more and more landscaping businesses. We have a geographical area that we're looking at, and it may expand someday. But the best part about our partners, there's no timetable. It's about getting this one right, and then we'll open the door for more acquisitions. And it's going to be about getting that one right. So there's no fun wipe. There's no term on this. It is still right. When we're ready for the next acquisition, we'll be ready. And we have the capital to do it. If it takes a year, it takes a year. If it takes two years, it takes two years. If it takes next month, then we'll do it next month. And to have that ability and patience is just unbelievable. And it's not common. So now that you have a larger hold cut to make investments out of, are there certain opportunities just in terms of businesses and business models that that opens up within landscaping? You'd mentioned like buying uh, garden centers or distributors who could supply you know, rock and dirt and trees and all other stuff. Are those opportunities perhaps a little bit easier to go after now that there's a larger pool of capital that you could use? Absolutely. So all that outside of just the resource of someone else is also aligned with us to grow our partner. For what we're looking for, money will never be the reason we can't get in the door or get the deal done. If you want to see proof of funds, here you go. Money will never be the reason we can't do a deal. 
Now, we're making sure we're not being stupid money and dumb money. And we're going to do this right. We're going to hold to our thesis, which requires discipline. And listen, the capital is there for us to use when needed, but I can't trust this amount. I have to do this right and continue to prove the mile. Just because someone has capital that can be allocated to acquisitions, if I shit the bet on this, it ain't going to be there much longer. So it's a lot of pressure to do this correctly, do this right. And if we do, then we can just go find what the best fit is for our next acquisition and money will not be the issue because we believe in buying at a certain multiple that's fair for us. Can you talk about some of the benefits to a more vertically integrated landscape and lawn care business? There's things like you could save money on some of your material costs, but there have to be a lot more options within a vertical integration for new efficiencies and perhaps some benefits to scale. So I look at this as a logistics business. We just so happen to provide lawn care or landscaping when we get there. Logistics primarily for lawn care. About half of our revenue is landscaping work, which there's a difference between that, but our lawn maintenance is a logistics business, right? If I didn't tell you what business I was in, we have trucks, we need to have good route density, we need to have efficient fuel costs, and we need to get from A to B as best and most efficient as possible. You wouldn't know if I was in a trucking business or a landscaping business, HVAC business, you have no idea. So I look at us as a logistics business. We just so happen to, instead of dropping off some pallets as a trucking or hauling company, we're shooting to your lawn and getting back in the truck and doing it again. Our fleet is master, master, master of what can have synergy as we get bigger. And that means we have better pricing on vehicles. Even right now, like the prices are insane, but we're able to have a fleet management. We're able to buy fuel, pre-bought fuel at cheaper pricing. Everything you do bigger, you're able to get better economics on. And in terms of scaling like operations within other industry or within the landscape industry, the other subcategories, Think about your house or your business that needs care. If you have grass, we want to be the sod provider. If we can be the sod provider from the farm, and then we can also be your installer, and then we can also be the guy that maintains it, and then we can also be the guy that does the spray treatment on it. And then, oh, by the way, we can also be the guy that waters it, and we can also be the guy to trim the trees and prune them and take care of it and then also enhance it. If we can be the option in each of those categories, that provides us a tremendous advantage against our competitors who may dabble in some of those other areas, but they're not experts or they're not full into those other areas. So I think what I'm saying here, that's a tremendous battle to achieve or to win. And that's a lot of people have said they want to do this and many have not been able to accomplish it. So I understand the feat that's in front of us. And that's why finding a partner that was patient with us was the most crucial thing that I was looking for is the most critical thing I was looking for. So we're doing this one step at a time. We are in long maintenance, we are in the landscaping. We dabble in the other areas, but we are looking at the other areas for our next acquisition. And that is really only to service the customer better. In the long way, we'll see financial impact, right? If we're buying sod from our own sod farm, we should have better margin. And our sod company should be better because we're buying more volume. And then we should be able to install it at a higher margin. So all those things that you vertically integrate should help one another. Within those vertical integrations, it, it sounds like it makes a lot of sense to have a strong regional focus within Central Florida where you are. Do you imagine that slowly expanding over time or do you think you would expand out directly from Orlando or do you think you'd create new concentrations of operations in different cities and you'd 
leapfrog out to other cities or just figure out Central Florida first and we'll go from there. Like I said, other people add, you can operate different geographical locations of the landscaping business and you can have different categories in different locations. For me, I only need to go somewhere where I have an advantage and I'm a buddy that has a great line that no matter what he does, he just wants an unfair advantage. And I steal that all the time. My unfair advantage, me personally, is in Central Florida. I know Central Florida. I know the builders in Central Florida because of my previous background. I know because my ties to city players and commissions and builders and developers and land purchasers, I know exactly where developments are going. I have a list on my wall of where they are going. So if we start attacking those areas ahead of time and get customers on that area early and we're the main focus in that area, then as blossom, we should blossom with it and just catch that tailwind of activity in that area. If we stretch outside of central Florida, the team would have to be right, the service would have to be right, and we would really have to feel comfortable about our operations in central Florida because naturally my time would go more towards the new operation. That's a big thing to jump in. I'm still learning that. I'll kind of manage two different locations and two operations, even though we're 30 minutes to 40 minutes apart from each other. One does commercial and one does residential. So I'm learning that at this moment. So we're getting ready to go outside of our area. But when we are, obviously that's positive impact. What are you most excited for over the next year to accomplish? Getting this one right. And, and that's kind of a bad answer for you, I imagine. But we can prove this one right. That also means we're operating B&B, right? Which means now... As a whole, we're operating two locations properly. We are being good stewards of capital. We are executing strategic vision. And that will only give us more confidence into the next acquisition, which is our plan. And sometimes you have to step back on a current day-to-day focus in terms of revenue customers. You, know, you have to maybe drop some, maybe raise some prices, maybe remove some because you're back to fits. Because what I did find, no matter how big or small, because I bought one size of landscape business and I just bought a whole different other size of landscape is that landscaping owners, they get to a point where they just take all customers. And there are some customers that just don't make sense. And so you do have to step backwards. So with the learning that in this business, this new world, and then getting our process right and organization right and proving our model again. Our thesis ties a lot or centers around landscaping businesses that are owned by service people. What I mean by that is they are started in a truck or they join weight after another service. They're service owners that just so happen to own a business. And we feel like our advantage can come in and take that high quality of service, which majority of them always have because they're service people at heart, and adding the business layer and just complete and move it forward. And little tweaks here and there, like getting rid of the union time clock or getting right sheets, that's obvious to us, but that's not obvious to some owners. And a lot of them are because they're service owners, they're not business owners. So we look for service owners that we can acquire their business and add good business practices to quite frankly. Thank you, Mike, so much for sharing a little bit of your time. So much fun to chat with you as you acquired BNB and now Justin's and even to chat with you frequently going through all this has been a lot of fun for me and it's been fun building a friendship. So I've really enjoyed that a lot. As always, love to have you on the podcast. I'll have to have you again on your next acquisition next month, probably, <laughs> I assume. Something quick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, man, if it's next month, then we're cranking here. And again, man, I really appreciate the friendship and the guidance and the advice and just sometimes a fear to listen to. And I hate our friend conversations sometimes because you're so caring and 
you just always ask the question first. You always want to know what's going on in my life. And I feel like every time we end up, I want to ask you more about your life, what's going on. I just appreciate you always being there. Ask, that's a tremendous asset you have, man. I really appreciate it. Well, that's incredibly kind of you. And feel free to call me anytime. You have my number and we text all the time. So you're on my list of, if you call, I'll just pick up, like no matter what I'm doing. So looking forward to the next one. I appreciate you saying Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review and telling a friend to help more folks find Think Like an Owner. I also want to thank our show's sponsors, Livebook Bank, Hood & Strong, and Oberly for their support. For full episode transcripts and more information, please visit our website at alexbridgman.com slash podcast. And if you want to learn more about the Operator's Handbook, please visit us at theoperatorshandbook.com and join your peers in the endless pursuit of better.